A man shoots and kills a home intruder, claims it was legal. Melanie Mark, the first First Nations woman to sit in the BC legislature, resigns. Trudeau vows to close Roxham Road somehow. Surprising Canadian connection to U.S. cleaning firm employing children in at least one slaughterhouse. And Nigerians head to the polls. Good morning. It's Thursday, February 23rd. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. In Milton, Ontario, this past week, a man shot and killed another man who then died. Now, full disclosure, I went to high school in Milton. I have opinions about this town. You might be able to figure them out in this segment. Anyway, the man's defense, he was protecting his mother from a home intruder. The intruder entered his home, and so the man shot him dead. Ali Mian is just 22. He's a legal gun owner, and his lawyer claims that he used his gun, quote, legally against an armed intruder, reports Global News. He's been charged with second-degree murder. This all happened at 5 a.m. Police previously said that the house appeared to be targeted, but Mian's lawyer, Jeg Verk, told Global News that, quote, it is a home invasion. It happens all the time. Houses get robbed all the time. Perhaps what's not working in Virk's defense is the fact that people are not shooting and killing people all the time as a result of these apparently common home invasions. Pay attention to whether or not this self-defense defense actually works. Stories like that of Gerald Stanley, who shot and killed Colton Bushi, who is on his property, always makes me worried that Canadians will become even more and more conditioned to accept the idea that you have the right to shoot someone who enters your home. Remember, lock your doors when you go to bed. And if someone enters your home, which I have a strange amount of experience with, just ask them to leave. The odds that they will break in at 5 a.m. specifically to hassle your mother is, I'm going to say, low. Unless your mother's into some interesting stuff. Now to BC, where the first First Nations woman to serve in the BC legislature has resigned. Melanie Mark had harsh words for the BC government and her experience trying to make change within it. She called it, quote, like a torture chamber, unquote, and that the, quote, institutions fundamentally resist change, reports Karen Larson with CBC News. The article has reaction from all party leaders who praised Mark's work and legacy, though none of them upheld what she was saying, justified it, confirmed it, or made any specific promises to how they might seek to change the way that things operate. There is a video of her resignation, though, and of a press conference after. You should watch it because you'll see her anger and strength doesn't come through the article the way that it comes through when she's speaking. She says, quote, there is a lot I'm proud of, but this journey has been difficult and comes at a personal toll. In the 30 second clip of Mark in the press conference right after, she says that people had the gall to call her a bitch. Now, she didn't say that they had the gall. She said that no one should call her that. I'm saying that they had the gall because seriously, fuck everybody that thinks that they could say that about her. She says, quote, the nastiness from white men in here is awful. I've put up with enough abuse in my life. This looks bad for the EB government who needs to do things differently if it's going to convince British Columbians to stick with them. 
But colonial parties are always going to fall in the same colonial traps. And so this really shouldn't surprise anybody. In another podcast I host called 30 Wood, you'll hear it in a few weeks. I talked with Pam Palmiter and she mentions all of the amazing Indigenous women who inspire her and who have done more than any government anywhere has to bring change and justice for Indigenous people. Her words rang in my head when I watched Melanie Mark's resignation. I wish Melanie Mark all the best. Now to Quebec's Roxham Road. After the Canadian government started sending people who entered Canada through this Quebec passing to the rest of Canada, Justin Trudeau has said that his government is, quote, working on closing the irregular boarding crossing at Roxham Road, but only through negotiating the safe third country agreement with the United States, unquote. That is from Richard Raycraft with CBC News. Rather than scrap the safe third country agreement, which they absolutely need to do, Trudeau said that he is working to renegotiate it. Remember that this agreement is what creates unorganized asylum claims at the Canadian border. Canada considers the United States a safe third country, so you cannot appear at an official border crossing and declare asylum the way that you might be able to from air or by sea. This pushes people to cross the border at non-official crossings, which is, of course, most of the border. Roxham Road's proximity to many U.S. cities makes it a favored path for many people seeking to declare asylum in Canada. Pierre Polyever and Francois Legault have called on Trudeau to close Roxham Road. The article doesn't say how they want him to do it, whether by building a massive wall or some kind of laser beam system or something. Maybe declaring Roxham Road an official point of entry would allow Canada to simply just send people back, as is the situation with the official points of entry. Anyway, the article doesn't mention that we're still waiting to hear from the Supreme Court on the Safe Third Country Agreement. It was ratified in 2002 as part of post-September 11th national security measures, and in 2020, a federal court ruled that the agreement needed to be struck down. In October, the Supreme Court heard the appeal, but has not yet rendered their decision. Now, a quick story from the United States, but with a Canadian tie-in. NBC reports that children are being employed in a slaughterhouse in Nebraska. Journalist Laura Strickler posted a photo of a boy on Twitter wearing cleaning clothes with his face blurred out. His job? To clean the blood and animal body parts from the floors of the slaughterhouse. If you've never read Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, you really have to. The company that is being accused of using child labor is called PSSI. NBC talked to many whistleblowers who had seen firsthand that PSSI was employing children in their plants. One man they spoke to on camera said that he regularly saw kids as young as 12 doing work that is very dangerous. NBC reports that many of the children are migrants from Central America. PSSI denied that any children work with their facilities and welcomed Labor Department investigations. In 2018, PSSI was purchased by an investment firm called Blackstone, the biggest in the world for the kind of investment that they do. They're massive. They own Michael's, The Craft Store, Orangina, and Hilton Hotels, just to name a few. They also own 55% of Thomson Reuters, and they co-bought Merlin Entertainment in 2019, the owners of Legoland, with the Canadian Pension Plan Investment Board. Oh, and they have a majority stake in Ancestry.com. Side story, because I wrote this last night, I had a dream that Canada was sending people to quarantine in Legoland because of the part ownership that the Pension Plan Investment Board had. 
oh, how the brain works. <laughs> but okay, so what is the Canadian tie-in here, aside from the fact that Canada Pension Board owns partly Legoland with Blackstone? Well, Brian Mulrooney is on the board. Brian Mulrooney, former Prime Minister, on the board that manages Blackstone, this company that owns PSSI, that is employing children in a slaughterhouse. Thanks to Angie Rivers for pointing that one out to me. And finally, February 25th, it was a big day in Nigeria. They are heading to the polls to elect a new president. Mohamedou Buhari, the outgoing president, has served two four-year terms and therefore cannot run again. Al Jazeera reports that the leader of the opposition party, Atiku Abubakar, is the front runner. This will be his sixth run for president. His party, the PDP, was in power from 1999 to 2015, and Abubakar was the vice president. Al Jazeera places Abubakar as furthest to the right for economics of any of the candidates. Abubakar is running with Ifenyi Okua, governor of the Delta state of the south of the country. Okua is Christian, Abubakar is Muslim, and from the northeast of the country, giving the team good coverage of the regional and religious differences in Nigeria. Bola Tinubu is also running for the spot. He had been governor of Lagos for two terms. He tapped Kashnim Shatima to run with him, and Shatima was the governor of Borno in the northeast. Both men are Muslims, which is bizarre for the tradition of the two candidates running being Muslim and Christian. Tinubu, though, is from the southwest, which is also part of the tradition, making sure that the two candidates are from the north and the south. Al Jazeera places Tinubu's politics for both the economy and culture in the center. Then there is Peter Obi from the Labour Party. Al Jazeera reports that Obi is popular among youth. He had run for the PDP with Abu Bakr in 2019 and was the governor of Anambra State in the southeast of Nigeria. He is running with Yusuf Dadi Baba Ahmed from the northwest state of Kaduna. Obi is a wealthy capitalist. And finally, while there are 16 candidates running for president, the fourth person to keep an eye on is Rabio Kwankwaso from the New Nigerians People Party. Al Jazeera calls Kwankwaso a wild card who is, quote, immensely popular with the youth in his home region for his welfarist politics. He established a scholarship program that, quote, benefited thousands of students from low-income households in Kano. Kano is the second largest city in Nigeria after Lagos. Kwankwaso has served as the defense minister of the country, and he is running alongside Isaac Idahosa, a Pentecostal Christian bishop. That might explain why Al Jazeera has placed Kwankwaso on the left of the economic spectrum, but on the far right of the cultural spectrum. Nigerians get three votes each, one for the Senate, one for the House of Representatives, and one for the president. Nigeria's economy is the largest on the continent of Africa, and so the election matters, like all elections matter, but matters in particular, of course, because of the size of its economy. That is your news for today. It is Thursday, February 23rd. I'm Nora, and I hope you have a great Thursday.